Welcome to the sermon podcast of South Hills Church in Costa Mesa. My name is Chris Kretzu, and I'm the campus pastor here. Thank you for carving out the time to listen to this today. I hope that you will be encouraged and challenged, and ultimately that you'll have a deeper sense of God's love for you. I'll be back after the message is over, but until then, I hope that you enjoy this episode. So we are still in our summer series called Sounds Familiar. We have been talking through the Sermon on the Mount uh, and kind of breaking it apart into smaller chunks. Sermon on the Mount is one of Jesus's probably the most famous teaching that Jesus gave, this this sermon, this collection of teachings that for many of us, we are familiar with them. Uh, But this is really what Jesus taught uh, because he expects us to live this way. Uh, It's not just good ideas. It's not just like cute sayings, but he really wants us to respond in the way that we actually make decisions and relate to people. So he talks about how we uh, are in relationships with people and he talks about forgiveness and he talks about anger and uh, and kind of the internal posture of our hearts. He talks about being salt and light in relationships with the people around us in our communities and in the world. Uh, In the Beatitudes, he talked about how God is with the people that we would assume that have been forgotten and left behind by God. He teaches people how to pray over and over again. He's he's doing all of these different things. Uh, And then in chapter six, in this part we're going to look at today, he kind of takes this turn and he starts talking about money. Uh, He uses this word treasures, starts talking about stuff, our possessions. And it's interesting because all throughout this sermon, so much of what Jesus taught, it's not actually about the external, the outside thing. It's not always about the thing. It's usually about our hearts. Uh, It's not necessarily about what, you know, he talks about, you've heard it said, don't murder. And yeah, you should not murder, but also you shouldn't hate people. There's this internal posture of our hearts that Jesus is always going after. And so when Jesus starts to talk about money and treasures and our stuff, yes, He's talking about money and treasures and stuff, but he's talking about it because of the impact and the effect that it has on our hearts. And that is always what Jesus is after. That's what Jesus wants to transform. That's what God is inviting us to to hold out to him, to to make whole, to heal, to make new so that we can live uh, lives, healthy relationships, experience community and the beauty uh, by the transformation of our hearts and of our minds. So Jesus kind of takes this turn and we're going to read in Matthew chapter chapter 6. If you guys have your Bibles, you can read along. If you have a Bible app, if you're watching online, I know that Tracy will be able to put the slides up there as well. But Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, Jesus says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We're all, I think, I would assume most of us are probably familiar with that phrase. Can we say that phrase, that verse together? Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Let's try it just one more time, just for fun. (laughs) Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Then he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. 
if then that light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And it's a little bit odd because we're, we're talking about treasures and heaven and earth, and, and now we're talking about eyesight, and, and we'll talk about it in just a minute. But Jesus gives uh, three different pictures, the, the treasures, the eye, and then he says in verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. There's this collection of verses, and really Jesus is giving kind of these three different pictures as he's talking about treasures, money, stuff, possessions, ownership. All of these ideas are wrapped up in these three pictures in this collection of verses. And I just want to say from, from kind of the, the, the top of this, Jesus does not want your money. Jesus doesn't need your money. I've heard people say, like, why does the church always ask about money? God doesn't need money. If God makes everything, then God can make more money, which is a whole other conversation. But, uh, but there's this kind of this reality that Jesus doesn't need money, but as he said, money and our heart are always connected. There is this connection point. There is a string between the two of them. Where our treasure is, our heart will be also. So he's not talking about trying to get our money. Jesus really, ultimately, he wants our heart. He wants something for you and for me as it relates to our relationship with stuff, with possessions, with wealth, with finances. He's not talking about debt or bankruptcy or stealing or embezzling or any of those types of things. The, the reality is, is that you could have no debt and a huge savings account and all kinds of investments, and still, according to Jesus, you could still actually have a, a tragic way of approaching and handling and a relationship with money. Money's not evil. Uh, there's nothing inherently wrong with money. Wealth or the accumulation of money, it's, I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing either. Neither of these things on their own are wrong. And so Jesus isn't specifically talking about money. He's talking about our relationship with it. And he gives these three pictures. I have these three icons I want us to kind of just use. And maybe we can kind of keep these in our minds uh, over the course of the next three hours while I preach. Um, just kidding. Uh, and then, or, or over the week as we kind of think through these things. So treasure, uh, our eyes, uh, and masters. And he, he talks about two different treasures and two different eyes and two different masters. And it's an important thing. And the reason why he talks about these things is because the way that we handle our resources, what we have is a reflection of our hearts. The way we handle the money the, the finances, the, the savings, the stuff that we have is a reflection of our hearts. The way that we, the, the we interact with people because of that is a reflection of our hearts. The way we interact with God because of that is a reflection of our hearts. So I want to jump in uh, just right into this first one, uh, treasures. Jesus says, don't store up treasures for yourself on earth, but store up treasures in heaven. Where your treasure is, your heart, uh, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Um, treasure is uh, it's essentially anything, what he's talking about is anything that we would uh, place our affections or our attentions on as our treasure. Now, this can be tangible things or intangible things. There's some intangible things um, like uh, beauty, uh, like a Greek god, uh, just right up here. You know. No, there's some intangible things, but some people really value how beautiful I am. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, all of these are jokes. Uh, 
Some people really value beauty and it's something that they pursue and that they fear losing and that they put all of their effort and energy into maintaining and it's something that they treasure. It would be terrifying if they lost that. Uh, power or position is another kind of one of these intangible things where, where it's one of those things that they will spend all of their effort trying to get it and to hold on to it and the idea of losing it is scary. There's intangible things that we treasure, and then there's tangible things, homes or cars or bank accounts or whatever those types of things are. I know some people that they have this relationship with their house, and the reality for them is that they feel like everyone judges their value and their worth based on how clean their house is, how big it is, what neighborhood their house is in, and it is an exhausting relationship. Uh, not them in their house, but me and that person. It's, it's just one of these things. It's like, nobody's judging you for this. This is not, and if they are, then that's, that's a them issue. That's not a you issue. But we have these things that we put so much stock and we put so much value in. And Jesus is saying, I don't want you to, to, to store up treasures on earth because the stuff here, it does not last forever. And actually your stuff probably, and some of your stuff may last longer than you do. Uh, I heard one pastor say uh, that you know, we usually run out of time before we run out of stuff. There's always more stuff that we want. There's always more stuff that we're trying to get. And I think what happens is we begin to find some sense of, or we try to find some sense of fulfillment or purpose or meaning or happiness in our stuff and this kind of physical stuff that we have. And it's never, it was never intended to be able to hold that. It can't hold that. It can't give us what we most long for. I, I don't remember what comedian it was, but he talked about, he's like, people always say money can't buy happiness. He's like, I don't buy it. He's like, I don't believe that. He's like, have you ever seen a sad person riding a jet ski? Uh, and it's, it's true. It's like there are, there's this reality that stuff actually, it's pretty great, right? I mean, it's like we like stuff. We like jet skis. We like having fun. We like nice clothes. And nice, it's, there is happiness. There is good things that comes from stuff. I'm not trying to say like, hey, we should all, you know, I don't know, sell everything and get rid of everything. That sounds like something Jesus would say, not me. Uh, just, I'm going to make it. Uh, there is happiness that comes from stuff. I'm not pretending like that doesn't exist, but what Jesus is saying is when we are pursuing these things and expecting these things to bring us the meaning and fulfillment and wholeness, when we're putting these things above other things, which we'll talk about in a second, it becomes an issue. Um, I read this quote this week. It said, there are no inspiring stories of accumulation, there's no inspiring stories of accumulation. There's only inspiring stories of generosity and sacrifice. And it's really true. I, don't, I can't really think of a movie. I mean, there's, there's maybe uh, stories that we aspire to. Of like, yeah, I'd like to have that amount of money. Uh, I'd like to have that car, that house. I, I would like to aspire. But there are no inspiring stories of accumulation, of just getting and getting. It always, the stories that move us, they have to do with sacrifice and generosity and giving and, and love. And when Jesus is talking about this uh, eternal treasure versus this earthly treasure, I grew up in a home and uh, a church setting and Sunday school where they talked about jewels in our crowns. And anybody else grew up in a church where we talked about this or uh, how big your mansion will or won't be when you get to heaven and the golden streets and all these types of things. I think that there's a reality and all of what Jesus is teaching is it's not just about some future thing that happens after we die. It actually is about now. 
And as I think about the treasures and the things that we can pursue, this, this idea of a treasure being something that we give our attention or our affection, that, that we give our focus to, when I think about some of the things that are not you know, the, the earthly treasures, but they're, they're things that actually move me, things like love, that sounds very like hooey, right? But you guys have all had that situation where you have seen or you've experienced some incredibly loving act. Things like hope, kindness, gentleness, these things. We have these experiences with these things. Generosity. We experience these things. And there's something in these experiences that we have that like washes over us. And we all of a sudden realize this is the best thing. This is what matters. This is, some might even say, eternal. This is something that will last far beyond that car or those shoes or these looks or whatever it is. Uh, probably not. I've been this shape for a couple of years now, so we'll see what happens. But, uh, so Jesus is talking about treasures, and it's such an important thing because the way that we handle our resources is a reflection of our hearts, And so we have to set our heart's focus and our heart's priority on the things that God has identified for us to pursue, things that we're called to experience and to to show, like the fruit of the Spirit and and all these types of things. It's not wrong to save for the future. It's not wrong to uh, have financial planning. There's wisdom in that, and the Scriptures talk about that. It's not wrong to have money or things, but when our heart or our sense of worth or our sense of value or security lies in those things, that's when we end up actually becoming bankrupt in our hearts. The second image that Jesus gives is this image of the eye, which is interesting because he's talking about treasures, and then all of a sudden he's talking about eyesight. Um, He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light, and if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. Uh, It's an interesting thing. So in the 21st century... I don't know, for a while now, we've kind of understood how eyes work. Uh, There's light that comes in and it passes through or past the cornea, and then there's a lot of other science-y things that happen. But light, we know the light comes into our eyes, and that's how we are able to see things. But in ancient times, there was this understanding, and it's kind of funny to picture a little bit, but they actually believed that we see things because of a light that comes out of our eyes. Uh, Like everybody had laser eyes, essentially, is what it was. But there was a light that came out of your eyes. And so what you looked at, you were seeing with this light. And so Jesus takes this idea and he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. Um, This idea that light passes out of our body through eyes. So I brought this, uh, I was thinking about this this week uh, and I brought this. I don't know if this is going to work or not, but is it ready? (laughs) Okay. Not that exciting, right? I should have had a drum roll or something. Let's see if I can get this thing to light. Perfect. Uh, so uh, we have this lantern, and I think that, you know, so many of us, we have the, this understanding of light being uh, by an external light, we are able to see things, which there is truth to that reality, but this external light illuminates what we can see. But what Jesus starts to say is that there is a lamp internally. I broke this the first service too. Is Matt here? here. I apologize, wherever Matt is. Uh, oh, yeah, sorry. Uh, there is this lamp 
inside of us. He says that the eye is the lamp of the body, and there's this reality that there is a light inside of us, and by that light, we are able to actually, that's how we see. We see things through that lens, through that light. There's this, it's different than an external thing. It's an internal aspect of our hearts that changes the way we view things. It's not an external thing that's not a part of us. It's actually a part of our heart. Um, He uses this idea of a lamp. Instead of seeing by an external light, we see through an internal light. The second part of this, after he says the eye of the lamp of the body, he says if you have a healthy eye or an unhealthy eye. And this is actually an idiom. Do you guys know what an idiom is? Uh, don't point to anybody. That's a different word. Uh, an idiom is like a turn of phrase. Like if you've heard the phrase like, uh, it's the best thing since sliced bread, or it's raining cats and dogs. There's these, these phrases that we say, and we know what they mean, and they, I don't know when they necessarily showed up. But Jesus says, if your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, they'll be full of darkness. And really this idea of a good eye and a bad eye, a healthy eye and an unhealthy eye was this phrase that was really common in the culture at this time. If someone, if you said that someone has a good eye, it actually meant that they were generous people. If they had a healthy eye, it meant that they were generous, that they were open-handed and caring. And if they had an unhealthy eye, you can imagine that meant that they were not, that they were stingy or miserly, that they were kind of closed-fisted with what they have. And so Jesus, kind of using the the understanding and the verbiage of this culture, he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. And if your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. There is a sense of uh, having a healthy eye, of living in a generous, open-handed life, and it will fill you with light if you live that way. And those of us that have unhealthy eyes and we have these closed hands, how dark that darkness will be, Jesus says. There is this darkness, this this sense of of death that exists inside of us when we have these closed fists, when we have this sense of stinginess or unwilling to share our stuff, our resources, our time, our energy, our, our skills. It's not just dollars that we're talking about. This is everything that Jesus has entrusted us with. Jesus is concerned about this Because the way we handle our resources is a reflection of our heart. It always continues to tie back to our heart. One of the the parenting areas that I always somehow seem to struggle with is uh, my kids, I think it's probably most kids, but for sure more mine than anybody else's. They love to ask for things uh, all the time. Uh, when we left for our trip, uh, we left at 5 a.m. And it was one of those, you know, it's like, let's wake up early. We'll get the kids. We'll put them in the car. They'll be asleep. We'll get like a couple hours of sleep out of them on the road. It's going to be wonderful. So we get them in the car and literally 15 minutes into the drive, Arlo was like, can I have a snack? I'm like, dude, it's 5.30 in the morning. Like, this cannot possibly be happening. And then every time we stop for gas or for whatever it is, it was just constant requests. I mean, I could take them to an ice cream store, and we walk in to a store that only sells ice cream, and they'll be like, can I have ice cream? And I don't know why. It's, it's because I'm terrible. But it bothers me. It's like, obviously, that's why I brought you here. I wanted to buy you ice cream. And now you're asking for it, and I don't want to give it to you, you know? Uh, It's just, again, this is not what you should aspire to. This is my issue. Uh, But it's an interesting 
kind of dynamic because there are these moments where it's like I take them to the ice cream store because I want to buy them ice cream and me. Uh, when we got to uh, Bass Lake where we stayed, the Airbnb we were going to stay at, it wasn't ready yet, and so we had to kill time. So we found this place. It was like this um, kind of old train place, and they did, you could like mine for gold or whatever. And so I was like, okay, we'll go, we'll mine for gold. And uh, so we pay the money so they can mine for gold. And, uh, and then we're walking by a gift shop, and we haven't even mined for gold yet, but they're like finding all the things in the gift shop that they want to buy. And I was like, can I have this? Can I have that? Can I have this? And in my mind, I was just like, no. <laughs> and it bothered me. Uh, and now I'm bothered at how much it bothered me, because it's, it's like... There's a darkness, and it literally was like, I was unhappy until they found gold. And then I was like, you know what? This has worked out. I'm just kidding. But Jesus is talking about this idea that when we live this open-handed, generous, when we have a healthy eye, when when out of our heart's uh, position, our heart's posture, we have an open-handedness, there's beauty and light that fills us. And I think we all, maybe some of us have a tendency to always lean one way or the other. Some of us maybe vacillate day to day or moment to moment, depending on if you're a family trip or not. Uh, but we have these moments where we start to actually experience that. All morning, I've been watching people drop off school supplies over there. And this is the week, this is week three. I talked with Monica and she said that there's boxes of school supplies that people shipped from Amazon to her house. And I know that I can speak for every one of you that there is something that filled you when you bought those pencils, when you bought those folders. And it's silly. It's pencils in a folder, and you will never see the kid that gets those. But there's something that happens when you have a healthy eye, and you say, you know what? I do have money, and I worked for it, uh, but I'm going to spend it on something else, on someone else. I'm going to be open-handed. This is what Jesus is talking about. I lost my place. Ice cream. All right. Uh, so he talks about treasures. He talks about uh, these two eyes, these two treasures. And then he says that no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money, which is kind of interesting. I think most of us would assume that Jesus would say something like, you cannot serve both God and Satan or God and evil, but he, he says God and money. In some of our Bibles, some translations actually say God and mammon, which is this old ancient word that actually kind of had to do with money, stuff, possessions, wealth, treasures, all kind of encompassing. But when they wrote it, they actually kind of personified this term. And so he really made it, Matthew, when he wrote this, he said, you cannot serve both God and this other God. You cannot have two masters. Um, we, we don't really know a whole lot about having masters these days. Most of us have bosses, and some of us despise those bosses. Uh, but what he's talking about is this Greek word, and really the, the literal translation of this is one who is in charge by virtue of possession or ownership. So this is not about having a boss. This is not about working a couple different jobs. This is about being owned by something or someone. And Jesus is saying, you cannot be owned by two people. You cannot have two masters. It is not possible. You will grow to love one and hate the other or despise one and uh, be devoted to the other. It's an incredibly important piece of what Jesus is trying to make here. Money finances, wealth, and what money promises is a competitor for our hearts. 
And it's so important for us to recognize this, and it's hard. We, we don't want to believe that it's true, but I want us to slow down enough. Money, when we have it, it makes us feel like we don't need God. It brings security. It brings stability. It causes us to feel powerful. We start to feel like kind of successful, like, look what I have accomplished. Look what I have done. Look at my great business decision, whatever it is. When we have it, it challenges us because it starts to compete for our hearts, which is what God is after. It's what Jesus is teaching towards. He wants our hearts. And for some of us, when we don't have money, it is also competing with our hearts because we are so terrified and overwhelmed and scattered and obsessed with getting it and finding it and figuring it out and solving it. And it competes with our hearts. This is what our Heavenly Father is after, is our hearts. And money is a competitor for that. Stuff, treasures, wealth can quickly become a competitor for our hearts. I think a lot of us probably wouldn't necessarily put like, yeah, I idolize money down like on a list of things like that we struggle with. But the reality is, is that I think for some people, maybe even today, as I'm talking, you're sitting here and you're like, man, I really wish this guy would stop talking about money. Uh, Or there's this kind of frustration or anger that starts to come up when we start to think about like what we have heard we're supposed to do with our money and what we want to do with our money. And and all of a sudden you start to realize, man, there is, I, I do despise one of these masters. And I am devoted to one of these masters. And there is a tension here that I feel because I cannot serve two masters. I want to do some things with my money the way I want to do those things. And God continues to get in the way with that. It continues to cause problems for that. I think a lot of us, myself included, we have these experiences where we feel that. And we have to wrestle with the question of, do I handle my finances, my stuff, my money, the way that God intends for me to handle it? Or do I do it the way that I want to do it? And which one of those, when, when they kind of butt heads, which one of those is going to win? Because Jesus isn't saying you have to have either or, like you either can have God and no money, or you can have money and no God. He's saying there can only be one in first place. You cannot serve money and God. You cannot serve stuff and God. We have to figure out how do we right-size this equation. And I think one of the ways that we can do that is by reprioritizing. Uh, this idea of reprioritizing. I think for most of us, and maybe some of you guys have heard these words before, most of us, uh, we kind of live our lives under this spend, save, give model. Uh, and, and a lot of times we take this idea, we say, okay, well, I'm going to spend the money that I need to on my stuff. I'm going to live. I'm going to spend money on me, my desires, wants. Obviously, there's some bills. There's some requirements that happen there. Um, and then also, if I have a plan at work uh, that offers it, maybe I'll save some money along the way. Maybe some of us have other retirement plans plans or investments or whatever it is. And then if there's anything left uh, or if there's like a cause that seems good enough or if it's convenient or whatever it is, then I will also, I'll give some because that always feels nice to do. Uh, and so there's kind of this, this reality where the way we view our finances, and this is not everyone all the time, this is kind of just a general uh, generalization, is uh, me and then future me 
and then others. Uh, and somehow we find ourselves on this list twice first before anyone else. And God is really clear about the way that our posture is supposed to be in the world. And when we live this way, that it's about me and it's about future me and then others, we live in a way as if this world and this stuff is really the most important thing and, and there really isn't anything else beyond this. And I think there's an invitation for us to flip these things around and, and, and look at this uh, as in give, save, spend. I think there's another slide with that. There it is. Nailed it. Uh, give, save, and spend. This idea of how do we, how do we look outward first, which I, I know some of you guys are like, yeah, that's not a sound financial uh, strategy, Chris. Um, I know. Uh, save and then spend. But here's the situation is that most of what Jesus calls us to do does not make a lot of sense based on what everybody else is doing, based on every other kingdom, based on every other government, based on every other way of thought. Uh, loving your enemies doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Praying people, for people that persecute you, turning the other cheek, uh, we can go through the whole list. Uh, a lot of it doesn't make a lot of sense. But there is this reality that living in God's kingdom, it's this upside down kingdom. And when we live into this, God has made these promises that he would continue to show up and that we would experience his power when we live in these ways. I think that if we were to view our stuff with an other's first mindset, I think we would experience a massive shift in our life. Uh, I was reading these uh, statistics about churches in America. You guys read that one? No? <laughs> Nobody? Uh, it was an interesting article, um, and it had all kinds of information, but there's two things I, I wanted to talk about, and uh, it's, this is... Uh, American churches, uh, numbers and percentages, uh, the average American church. Um, the first one is it says the average American church, uh, is supported by about 10 to 25% of the people in it who tithe. Um, so about 10 to 25% of the people that attend a church give to that church. And that's how that church is funded. And that's average across America. And that's also pretty average for our church here. It's about 10 to 25% of the people that call South Hills home give, and that's what funds a lot of what's happening. I'm not saying that in any way to guilt. I'm saying it because of the st second statistic, which I think is really telling. It says 77% of the people who tithe actually tithe 11 to 20% of their income. I know it's a lot of percentages and I'm saying a lot of numbers. So here's, let me just say it in layman's terms. 10 to 20% of the people that go to church give money. They tithe. Those, eight out of 10 of those people give way more than they're asked to give. And I can only imagine that this is true because they have experienced the incredible wholeness and fulfillment and light that happens 
when you start to lean into living a generous life the way that God has called us to live a generous life. This is true of a lot of you guys as well. Again, with the school supplies and different things that we have done, there's people that give on a regular basis, and because they give on a regular basis, they continue to see God provide for them, meet their needs, they experience not necessarily a window in heaven opening and money pouring out of it, but they experience peace and wholeness and a sense of meaning and belonging and connection. You have experienced it. I have experienced it. And it is so important for us to realize that Jesus is intending for us to live in a way that focuses on others first in every aspect of our lives. And tithing is one aspect of when we talk about money, there's generosity, there's how we serve, there's how we care, there's how we show up in our communities, there's all these different ways. But it's fascinating to me when I read those numbers that so many people that give have realized this is actually incredibly worth it, fulfilling, meaningful, and I want to do this more. I want to do more than the, the, the benchmark here. And I get that whenever... A pastor talks about money. People get nervous. Um, but I really do, I want you guys to understand that this isn't about me. This isn't about South Hills. Jesus, when he's teaching this, he's teaching this because he knows it's about our hearts. And that's why we're also talking about it, because it has to do with our hearts. It's not about getting every cent that I can from you. I promise. Uh, I was thinking about how to... Um, convince you guys of that, if there was like a way that I could convince you guys of that. Um, I, uh, in my home growing up, my, my dad was a pastor, and so we talked about a lot of different things and a lot of these types of spiritual things. We grew up with uh, jars. We had a give, save, and spend jar. And each one of us, when we got money, we would have to put, you know, if we got a dollar, we'd put 10 cents into give, 10 cents into save, and 10 cents, or, or 80 cents rather, into spend. Maybe that's, my parents were taking like 70% of my income, I think. I'm just kidding. Um, and, uh, and so with our older son, as he got older and he started getting money and uh, he would hang out with his grandma who just like literally just slips him $20 bills every time she's around. It's like, all right, buddy, let's start learning about what you should do with your money. Uh, and, um, and also there's a dad tax and all kinds of rent that we charge you. No. Uh, so we, we set up these jars and we have a give, save, and spend with these three separate things. And he was not happy about it. Uh, let me just say that. He was, it was like a really difficult thing. It still is a really difficult thing for him, him to understand. But we have a jar where he puts 10% of his money that he gets in is for giving, 10% is for saving, and 10 for, uh, 80 is for spending. And I never, in my entire life, I never had them spend, save, give. It's always been give, save, spend. I've always thought of it in those ways. I think because my parents ingrained that in me. I've never done that perfectly, or I didn't always do that really well, I guess I should say, until probably about, I don't know, 14, 15 years ago. Um, but I have these jars, and it's not because the church needs my son's money. It's not because the church needs the, that $2. <laughs> uh, Leanne, with our elementary class, our, our kids director, she always gives them an opportunity to... to give an offering. And it's not because we need the $7 or whatever it is that comes from that. It's because I want him to understand how to not be owned by money, how to not be possessed by stuff. If I wanted that $1.75, I could just take it. 
He goes to sleep earlier than I do. I could figure out a way. And if you're a parent, don't act like you haven't borrowed money from your kids before, okay? Uh, if, I, if it was about me or if it was about, it's not about that. It's because I don't want money to master him. I want him to understand how to use money and the, the, the best way to experience what does it mean to have some, to give some, to save some. We continue to need to learn this, and we are children of our Heavenly Father, and I really believe that he wants us to experience the same type of thing, where we give, and we save, and we spend. For the rest of my kids' lives, money is going to compete for first place in their heart, and I don't want them to sacrifice a relationship because of money or stuff. I don't want them to sacrifice uh, school or education because of money or stuff. I don't want them to choose money over a sense of personal peace or health. I don't want them to be slaves of consumption. I want my kids to have stuff, even the the things from the gift shop at the gold mining (laughs) place. I want my kids to have stuff, but I don't want stuff to have them. And that's what Jesus is saying. You cannot serve both God and money. You can only be owned, possessed uh, by one of these things. I don't want money to master your lives either. But it doesn't always matter what I think. But your heavenly father doesn't want money to master your life either. I'll, I'll close with this. A few verses later, verse 31 Jesus has talked about the treasures and the eyes and and the masters. And then he says this. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all of these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. These are three questions that everybody asks on a Sunday morning. What am I going to wear? Where are we going to eat? And... Never mind. Uh, so there's this, these questions that Jesus says, don't ask, don't worry about these things. He knows that we need them. He says, don't worry about them. And he says, even the pagans run after these things. And pagans is like a really strong word to us. Like when we think of a pagan, we think of some sort of like evil witch doctor or I, I don't know what. I don't know what comes to mind for you. But in this time, Jesus is talking to a Jewish audience and a, a pagan was anyone that believed in other gods. It was just kind of everyone else that didn't believe in Yahweh, the one true God. And the reason why he talks about this, and I think it's so fascinating, he says, the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them, is because they believed in these other gods, and those gods were not concerned with them. They didn't love them. They didn't care about them. They didn't know what they needed or wanted or what their situation was in life. And they spent time sacrificing and pleading to get the gods to be happy with them, to bless them, to give them what they needed. They, they were running themselves mad trying to please the gods so that they could survive. And Jesus says, the pagans run after these things, worrying about these things. But you have a heavenly father that knows you need those things. So you shouldn't worry like everybody else does. Nobody should feel more confident, more prepared, more cared for, more loved than you because you have a heavenly father who knows what you need. And if your heavenly father knows what you need, do you really need to worry about these things? Do we need to live 
with our fists closed tight to make sure that we have enough? Do we need to live in a way when we have this darkened lamp where we look at others and say, I'm not going to share with that person. I'm not going to give to that need. I'm not going to show up in that way. Do we want to live in a way where we are torn between these two masters, resenting one and being a slave to the other? And then Jesus, in verse 33, he says, but seek first his kingdom, meaning God's kingdom, and his righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you as well. Don't worry about what you need to eat, wear, drink. Other people worry about these things, but they don't have, they don't know that they have a heavenly father that loves them and that knows what they need. You should seek first God's kingdom. And God's kingdom, as we have continued to hear about throughout this Sermon on the Mount, is always about others. God is so focused on others and reaching for and pursuing and loving and caring for and and chasing after others. And we are invited to, to seek first that kingdom. And that shows up in every aspect of our lives, with our stuff, with our skills, with our money, with our time. We say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this others first kingdom, this way of love where I value things like hope and faith and peace and gentleness and kindness. And these are the things I'm going to be obsessed with. I'm going to pursue these types of things. I'm going to be open-handed in my relationships with people. I'm going to follow my father's kingdom. It's an other's first kingdom. And I can trust that he will continue to provide everything I need. So that all of these other things will be given to you as well. Look for ways to care for others. Live generous lives. Be open-handed. And God will continue to provide for you. So uh, as I close here. There's just kind of two practical things I want to invite you to do. And we've talked about some of these things before. This may, may not be new, um, but two things. The first one is uh, to choose a percentage of your income and decide to give it when you get it. Uh, some of you guys are already doing this. We talk about tithing here. Um, we've, we've taught on tithing more in depth. Uh, we, we believe that tithing is giving and trusting God with 10%. That's what tithe means. It's a tenth of our income. Uh, we've talked about that before here. Some of you guys are doing that. Some of you guys are not doing that. Uh, and, and I'm not just talking, this, this sermon isn't just about tithing. This is about generosity. And this is about understanding the role of being open-handed and giving and the way that that connects to our hearts. And so there's this invitation for us to choose a percentage and give that when we get it. A percentage of your salaries or your hourly wage or, uh, wage or whatever it is, uh, pick a percentage, give it, and give it to a community that you're invested in. Um, figure out a way to, to care for others. Uh, we really believe that there's an important piece of being invested in your church family. If, if this is your church home, we really believe that's an important thing, but uh, for some of you, you're, you're figuring things out and you're like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to test some things out. I'm going to give it towards these needs, these opportunities, these, uh, these charities, whatever it might be. But I really believe that we need to figure out how do we make a decision on a certain percentage. This helps us. One of the reasons why tithing is helpful is because it gives a framework. It says, okay, when I get this, I'm going to give this amount on this regular basis, and it gives us a, a way to practice it. The second thing that I want us to do is to pay attention 
to the tension that this creates in us internally. Pay attention to the tension that it creates inside of us. When we go to give, when we decide how much we want to give, uh, there's always this like sense of tension of like, okay, is that, is that enough? Is that too much? It feels like maybe too much. Like, and pay attention to this, this kind of, uh, this, this sense of, uh, of debate that starts to happen in our mind, the internal conversations that we have, and, and pay attention to it so we can discover what is the root of that resistance. Because I think oftentimes, for me, I have found that it's, the resistance isn't if I give, I won't be able to pay a bill. It's if I give, I won't be able to get this thing that I want as soon as I want it, which is next day on Amazon Prime or whatever the situation is. Oftentimes, the tension is actually waking up to the reality that I need to set myself and my own desires aside. C.S. Lewis wrote um, in, a, I think, a very snarky way. Uh, I don't do very good accents, so I'm not going to try and read it in an accent. But he said uh, this, If our charities do not pinch or hamper us, I should say they are too small. There ought to be things we should like to do and cannot do because our charitable expenditure excludes them. Uh, Essentially, what he's saying is, I think in some ways what David said, he says, I will not sacrifice that which costs me nothing. When we go to, to be generous, to be generous means that you are giving something that causes you to not be able to do something. I think that there's this, this sense of generosity being, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this and I will not be able to. And it's trusting that there is a wholeness and a, a fullness and that God will continue to provide for us. It's not that money's wrong. It's not that planning, wisdom, finances, savings, investment, none of, none of that is wrong. But Jesus, what he's talking about is our heart's and the way that we tend to pursue stuff, treasures, and we find a wholeness or fulfillment in there, or we try to, and it can really only be found when we put God first in our lives and handle our stuff and view our stuff through that lens. Let's pray together. Well, regardless of where you may be at in your faith journey, I believe that everyone has a next step that they can take. If you'd like more information about what it means to put your trust in Jesus, information about getting baptized or maybe even attending a Discover class to grow more in your faith, you can visit us online at southhills.org forward slash Costa Mesa and then scroll down to the next steps section. If you'd like more information about tithing or supporting South Hills financially, you can visit southhills.org forward slash giving. Thanks again for listening today, and I hope that I get to see you soon.